A while ago, Deacon Dennis and I were talking about the transfiguration because we talk about holy things all the time, don't we? Just all the time. But I was sharing with him that this gospel, I know it's real and know it's true, so I'm not denying any of that, but this gospel is particularly challenging for me because it's just hard for me to imagine the transfiguration of Jesus, that he changed form. He was fully God, fully human. You could see through his human body the glory of God. And it's just like, well, this seems more like a theological kind of construct than it is something that actually happened, which it did happen. But then I, I had kind of a learning aid that I acquired over time, which I want to share with you, and I'm going to invite you to use this learning aid. When I was in seminary, we would go over to the Vatican and the Vatican Museum, and we could look at the, the great masterwork paintings that exist in the Western world. And one of them is of the Transfiguration by an artist called, ready for this, Raffaello. Raphael is his name. Or if you want to call it Rafi for short, okay? And Raffaello did this marvelous painting of Jesus being transfigured. Peter, James, and John up there, Moses and Elijah, just like you heard. Okay? Then, the genius of this artist is that down below, because you know Jesus was transfigured on a, on a mountain, right? So down below was this young man with, kind of twisted like this because he was obsessed by a deacon, uh, by a demon. Oops, by, obsessed by a deacon. Uh, <laughs> he was obsessed by a demon. Far cry from a deacon. And so, the, and that's the next gospel passage that follow the transfiguration. And the cool thing is, if you saw Jesus transfigured in that painting, if you just pushed him down into that scene, he would fit in there perfectly as the one who is the healer, the one who restores order, just like the Son of God does. Now, when I see a picture like that, it's like, oh, okay, I'm starting to get this a little bit. So you can do this, probably not during Mass, okay, but go ahead and Google Transfiguration, and if you even get RAF, you can't remember anything else, like Rafi, RAF, it'll come up, Raffaello, and look at that beautiful masterpiece because it illumines for us what's going on in the gospel tonight. Okay, so I already told you what the transfiguration is, but now I, I want to apply a part of it. It's so big and huge, we can't talk about it all. So let me apply a part of it to our lives tonight. And I have to admit that this is from the wisdom of one of my friends, St. Thomas Aquinas. And he was raising the question, why did Peter, James, and John get to go up the mountain anyway with Jesus and all the other disciples didn't get to go? Well, here's an answer that he posed, and I think it's pretty cool, and so that's why I want to share it with you. Let's think about Peter. Peter was the guy, the disciple, he's my favorite, who loved Jesus the most. Who loved Jesus the most. Okay, you might say, well, Peter? But, but think about it. He's the one, through the grace of the Holy Spirit, who said about Jesus that you are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God. He got it. He nailed it. And because he knew Jesus, because he knew who he was, he really did love him. Now, Jesus had to be patient with Peter because Peter messed up, right? We're going to hear about it at the end of Lent where he denied Jesus three times. Remember that? He also tried to, to, to deny that Jesus had to go on the cross. 
I mean, he had his tussles with Jesus. But at the end, at the end, after Jesus rose from the dead, remember when Jesus asked Peter three questions, the same one, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, I do love you. And in, in, in that relationship, that beautiful relationship of love, Jesus formed Peter and prepared him to be our first vicar of Christ, our first pope, and the one who would go to his own cross because he loved Jesus. Now, the application to your life is very direct. Look at Peter. Look at his life. It turned out just fine. Look at his life. And the glory of God was there in his life because he saw Jesus as the Messiah and King. And because he loved Jesus, he saw his Lord, he saw his Savior, and drew very closely to him. And Jesus did not make himself unavailable to Peter because he was incarnate in our flesh. And the same thing is true for you. Jesus does not make himself unavailable to you. But the full glory and majesty and beauty of God, his mercy, his love, his forgiveness is available to you. It's not something that you earn. It's not something that you have to climb a high mountain in order to receive or see. It's right now. The glory of God. And he's saying, you can love me just as Peter loves me. Okay? That's number one. Peter or James. Okay. Why is James up there? He was the first disciple to be martyred for Jesus, to give his life for Jesus. He was the first one. And so what James does for us is something that is uncomfortable and was uncomfortable for Peter, I just mentioned, but James takes us to the cross. And James takes us to that part of our faith that is very important, that calls us to self-denial, giving up stuff. Oh boy, here we go. But self-denial. In other words, denying what is a part of us that detracts or takes away from us loving God, us loving Jesus. And truly, the, the Christian life, the whole of Christian life, which is really good, this is really fine, but the whole of Christian life is, is peeling away the world, not because the world is icky and awful and ugly, but peeling away that of the world that has affected our lives in a way that is not good for us and not good for our relationship with God, is not good for our salvation. And everybody since Adam and Eve, everybody since Adam and Eve, except for the Blessed Virgin, has had to peel away with God's help, but peel away those things that are of the world and not of God. And that's the cross, friends. That's the cross. And it comes to us in various ways. It can be through sacrifice. It can be, yes, honestly, through suffering. It can be if somebody literally nails us to a cross, and that's happened to people before. But the cross comes to us in various ways. Not because Jesus wants us to squirm wants us to feel bad, but no, no, the, the, cross, the cross purifies us and draws us 
unto God and prepares us for eternity. That's what James is talking to us. So, you know, Lent's perfect because a lot of us are giving up things, right? And sacrificing some little thing, when it, compared to the cross, it's a little thing, but sacrificing some little thing in our lives. And, and, and that puts us on the right course and says, okay, let your whole life be this way. It applies to me, too. Sacrificing what isn't of God. Okay, Peter, James, John. Okay, we can flip the tides a little bit and, and say that, that Jesus loved John the most. Now, he wasn't playing favorites. No, 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 no. I love him more than I love you. That kind of thing. There's no tit-for-tat kind of stuff going on here. But we see that relationship between James and John, especially in John's gospel. He's called the beloved disciple. He was closest to Jesus during the Last Supper. Okay, what does that say? What does that say to us? Well, what, what John ministers to us is just the, the, the power and the potential, if you will, of the effect of God's love in our lives. I mean, John was really moved by his relationship with Jesus. And John becomes this instrument for all of us that says, you know, he, and he's not bragging. He's not bragging. He'd never do this. But he says, okay, you can draw close, very closely to Jesus. And when you do, then your life is transformed. Your life is marvelously changed in terms of how that closeness of relationship affects you and affects the way that you relate to God and you relate to other people and how it affects the way that you relate to the world. The thing, and I could talk to myself about worrying about stuff, but the stuff that you worry about, well, that can be very serious, but the stuff you worry about won't overcome you or overwhelm you, even as if you're plowing through some difficult times. Because why? Because the power of God's love, and this is not fantasy, this is real. The power of God's love is supporting and sustaining you and, and drawing you unto himself. So it's giving you what you need, the, the wherewithal, to address these things in your life. That's what happened in John's life. Jesus, at that close relationship, gave him the wherewithal to address the stuff that was in his life. What a beautiful instrument John is. And you see, all three of these guys, Peter, James, and John, they witness the transfiguration of Jesus, right? But then they become witnesses of how Jesus transfigured, changed their lives. And the glory of God shone through their lives with James martyrdom, Peter martyrdom, John through how close he was to Jesus. That's what happens. That's what happened to them. And that's what can happen to us naturally in terms of our relating to Jesus and he to us. See, last week you heard about the temptations. and we're all, we're all tempted. And sometimes we succumb to those temptations. And that's what we were supposed to get in touch with last week during the first week of Lent. This week we're getting in touch with and don't take this as a cheap comment here, because it's, it's just the only words I have to describe it. But we're getting in touch with the transformative power of God. Like, like you're transformed by uh, getting a new job or whatever. That's not it. This just is a transformative power of God's love in our lives that takes a sinner like you and me and rebuilds us mercifully, 
restores us and, and recreates us, if you will, through the power of his love. That's what we're talking about. And so this week, this week, I want to invite you to really contemplate, to think about, to dwell with this transformative power of God and how the glory of God can shine through you because of how God relates to you and you to him and how all of that changes through his forgiveness, through his mercy, through his healing in your lives. So that's week two of our Lenten journey. We've got more to go. But the power to transform and God's desire to do it in your lives is what you bring to the table this week during your Lenten journey. <laughs>